Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, we're joined by Anissa Oberoi, the founder of the Middle East conscious e-commerce beauty platform for sustainable beauty, Secret Skin. So, Secret Skin was born after Anisha fought a year-long battle with breast carcinoma, given the toxicity of the medication to assist with her recovery. Anisha was desperate to use clean, non-toxic beauty products, but struggled to find sufficient information and accessibility to such products. So, Secret Skin is a platform that hosts sustainable, non-toxic beauty and wellness brands that are devoted to people, planet, and purpose. Three Ps, I like it. Today, we'll be diving deeper into the story of Secret Skin, their journey through the pandemic as part of the beauty industry, and a look to the future. So, good morning, Anissa. Good morning. Thank Thank you you for for having us. And thank you for joining us, and thank you for being vaccinated and in person, (laughs) and it's nice to... It's glad. I'm glad that we're coming back to the normal state of life. Imagine imagine that this is uh, normal, and that we don't have to look at a screen and do Zoom. So it's good to be back to normal. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, So, yeah, as I explained, can you just... How would you describe people who are learning about the secret skin for the first time? So uh, we're a beauty tech platform that allows the discovery for consumers of uh, different conscious uh, beauty brands from around the world. Conscious brands are brands that have sustainability across the value chain of shipping, sourcing, production, packaging. And uh, they consist of plant-derived ingredients. There are no synthetic toxins or preservatives completely clean. So clean as a word is quite unregulated, but for uh, the everyday person, it's ingredients that are natural or organic. They don't contain any alcohol or perfume, and uh, they're free from any negative impact that most conventional beauty brands have Mm. on your fertility or your hormones. Mm. So uh, we launched uh, eight months ago on the 7th of October. So it's a COVID baby because I incorporated the company in February 2020. Yeah. Um, in fact, the story is a bit interesting uh, because when I moved here in 2019, I had spent five years at Amazon launching fashion and beauty in India and then in Australia. Wow. And I thought that I would move here to continue on my corporate progression path. But unfortunately, um, the roles that I was exploring, they were very restrictive in their opportunity to contribute to the community at large. And they were limited in their in their opportunity to uh, make a difference in their sphere of influence. And um, I also had started to feel this spiritual struggle between money and meaning because I told myself any job would be a line item on my resume or a bullet point on LinkedIn. But how does it add value to my ecosystem? I want to be responsible for giving back. Uh, It's a thread that has uh, weaved its way into my life since I was diagnosed in 2010. And um, I wanted to have a cross-section of what I really knew how to do well and uh, what really guided and energized me. That is how Secret Skin was born. And in fact, the decision was also backed by data because 
I was not able to find any clean beauty and personal care products in this region because a lot of platforms are fragmented here. It doesn't exist. Uh, however, it's very evolved in other parts of the world. So as a consumer, if I have to order a product from, let's say, the principal brand in UK or the US or Southeast Asia, or even an aggregator like Cult Beauty, mm. like most women do, it takes two weeks to receive it, and you're paying between 55 and 85% over in shipping and customs. Wow. So I said, here's such a great opportunity. I put on my Amazon hat. Yeah. I did a lot of due diligence. And uh, what I envisioned was a very curated marketplace of different brands uh, from a top-to-toe offering, whether it was the low-hanging fruit of deodorants or shampoos and conditioners to the high-priced serums, bath and body products. Okay. And we kept expanding the categories because the idea was to dispel the following notions. One, clean beauty is not easily accessible. Two, it doesn't perform as well as what you would get in a pharmacy or suggested by the derm. Three, they're not luxurious. And four, they're expensive. Okay. So the value proposition was that you would get the same product instead of waiting for two weeks uh, at a price closest to the brand principal's price. You'd get it the same day in, with flexible payment options. And for the first seven months, the shipping was free. Okay, wow. And you could get anything that you wanted the next day, not the same day. So, wow, so super impressive. Uh, all, you tell it so well. It Thank sounds you. very plausible, very, very, you know, uh, interesting in terms of what was needed. I think a lot of people would identify with it. How's it gone so far? Well, I've been very fortunate to see a positive response from investors, from um, the industry, as well as from press. I think that uh, we're very grateful for the kind of opportunities that have come our way very often, in fact. Uh, I know it's only eight months old, but people feel that we've been around for much longer. Yeah. We started with six brands. We're on 16 brands. And we by February 2020, we should be on 50. February 2020. 21, I'm sorry. 22. <laughs> I apologize. I'm this losing track of time. No, I was confused also. No, it's okay. February 22. So that's, a, that's a lot. Have you sourced all those? Where are they from? So we have brands from the UK, the US, South Africa, yeah. India, Hong Kong. And um, we're now talking to brands in Australia. Okay. We have a lot of interest from brands in Scandinavia, Interesting. Sweden. Okay. Um, they so go through a very stringent process of due diligence and background check uh, in order to make it to the secret skin cut, which is why we're very discerning with who we let in. Can you explain how that works? Yes. Yeah. So when brands say, as you're aware, there's a lot of greenwashing that happens, right? A normal consumer is really confused when they pick up a bottle, they don't know whether it's clean. And when, it, when the bottle says that it's clean, they don't know what it really means. For most people, clean means natural and organic. And uh, now the consumer has become a lot more smarter. So the consumer knows that if the bottle says no phthalates, no sulfates, no parabens, uh, it's a promise. And a lot of brands spend a lot of money to get certifications and accreditations from global authorities in order to uh, represent themselves with a high standard of conscious credibility. Mm. So when a brand comes to me, it's important for me to check where else are they selling mm. across the world, uh, whether they have a D2C offering on their own platform, 
um, what are the certifications they have in place. They give us their ingredient reports, their lab reports, because we have to register everything with the Dubai municipality here. Mm. If they say they're cruelty-free, then they should have a PETA or a Leaping Bunny certification. And then I also sample... So explain, uh, PETA, Leaping Bunny? Yes. So these are certifications given to brands that can prove that they don't test on animals. Are they independent bodies? That, They're independent. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Leaping Bunny because, uh, you know, for a long duration, it was uh, rabbits that were used for uh, testing. Okay. And uh, in fact, it's really encouraging that recently, I think uh, China has also come out with a with a guideline that they they no longer require the brand to test on animals in order to enter the market. Okay. So uh, if they're saying cruelty free, then we need to know all my brands are cruelty free. Mm. If they're saying that they're halal certified, then we'll see the certification. However, on Secret Skin, all brands are halal friendly, which mm. also means that if they haven't got the certification, but they, they can prove that there's no animal extract or there's no uh, animal byproduct mm. in the ingredients or the formulations, then we accept that as well. Mm. And I personally sample all the products. There's nothing on Secret Skin that I haven't used wow. because I want to be able to describe to the customer uh, what my experience was because we also have a beauty concierge mm. so you Richard can dial in and get on a zoom call with me or our beauty experts and we can help you navigate through the website on what product will suit your skin type or and skin the, concerns and the products for male and females yes okay. so you won't find a for men for women section because they're gender neutral, neutral. Yeah. that was very important to me you see I look at our customer base as a community of clean crusaders mm. who are uh, very conscious about how they shop, mm. uh, very responsible to the environment because social and environmental impact is at the heart of Secret Skin and people who want to make a difference and want to be a part of this revolution of mindfulness. I call them the clean crusaders. Yeah, nice term, I like it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's brilliant. I want to talk a lot more about the category and the, the trends because there's, there's so much that I, I believe we can learn from you. Um, but just going back a step, and irrespective of the category that you're in, uh, the, in terms of the products that you're using, this as a one side of it is an e-commerce business. Uh, how did uh, you know? And you're eight months in, uh, you know, just drawing backwards. So incorporating in February, that means you built this platform in six months. In six months, yes. which sounds very uh, fast and very good. Yes, thank and, you. And uh, you know, you mentioned investors. Was this something that? Uh, you kind of raised funds for and then went and built or did you have a as they call it a minimal viable product and how did you go about the e-commerce part of it sure so because I worked at Amazon I call it my boot camp yeah I think that I learned everything that enables me today to do what I do at Amazon mm. it's a very process driven data centric approach yeah. And uh, you learn a lot about how to view customer data, what inferences to derive, what insights you can use in order to better your proposition. Okay. Um, you get to understand what the image drivers and the volume drivers are, how much are people buying, how much are they adding to the basket, what's their spend propensity. But all this comes later. All this yeah. comes when you launch the website. Uh, but our platform is our MVP. We've got very ambitious plans because at the end of the day, it's a beauty tech platform. Okay. And it's also sustainable. So we want to become a B Corp in due time. We want to address sustainable development goals uh, when we're mature enough. And uh, I had a vision for this when we first started. And uh, everything that followed was just uh, 
like a flow chart of things that I mean, of course, there have been many segues and pivots. Yeah. Because uh, on the road and the usual questions every day. Yeah. Yes, I've experienced that. It's a very steep learning curve. It's your if it's your first gig. Mm. This is my first entrepreneurial venture. You're braiding the rope and you're climbing it at the same time as fast. And Did you have a technical partner? Uh, well, my co-founder is also someone who has an Amazon background. Between yeah. the two of us, we have twelve and a half years of Amazon. But Amazon, I'm assuming, is more on the sort of marketing and operations side as opposed to the engineering. It's impossible to not learn to about them. the okay. tech part, even if you're working on the category management because side. Because tech is product, and it's all yes. consumer centric, and you have to things work Absolutely. together. They're not siloed. They're not. Okay. We work customer backwards. I mean, okay. I still use it in present continuous tense because yeah. my friends joke that you can take the girl out of Amazon, you can't take Amazon out of the girl. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in the beginning, uh, we created the blueprint together with what we had seen and learned. Mm. And everything is done in-house. What you see on the platform, we shoot in-house, we write all the content in-house. So it's not just another website selling beautiful beauty products. Mm. Um, because our mission is to reinforce women's health in this region mm. through the narrative of beauty. There is a very high index on social and environmental impact. Mm. Because we bring on board brands that emulate this, we are also a brand that emulates the values that they bring in. Can I ask a strategic question? Please. And maybe if it's together. So I, I believe that you could have two, a few choices in the inception concept part. One particularly around e-commerce in 2020, 21, as opposed to e-commerce, when Amazon started, uh, or opposed to e-commerce 10 years ago. And a lot of the trend is around drop shipping with, with Shopify, so you don't need to build it from scratch. And then second question is, uh, related to that, uh, you can a lot of the mission that you're talking about could have been a product as opposed to a platform. It could have been a brand where you produce your own product and you probably have a vision to do that as well but I'm just trying to understand from your, your uh, approach at the very start what choices went into place in, in say A I'm going to build an e-commerce platform I'm not going to do drop shipping and B I'm going to host many brands I'm not going to build my own. So the MVP was definitely a marketplace because we it was COVID we didn't have the wherewithal uh, to build our own product. A, because we needed to go through that journey of understanding what worked best in line with the expertise and the market that we were in. Okay. Like I shared about the data earlier, nothing of this kind existed here. So there was a huge opportunity. Mm. In the US, you have Credo, for example, Credo Beauty and Detox Market that are large format aggregators of clean beauty brands from around the world. Wow, okay. Um, Amazon and Sephora, very different positioning in terms of product, even whether it's Bloomingdale's or Harvey Nichols. Uh, their bread and butter is conventional beauty, although everybody now is trying to clean up their act. So in the beginning, the MVP was always designed to be a curated marketplace. Mm built on Shopify because we were not mature enough yet. You have to do a certain volume of orders and operations in order to say, all right, now it's time 
for us to build our own IT stack and customize it. Yeah. That will happen, but then it's an MVP. Yeah. And with limited funds and you're bootstrapped, I put all yeah. my Amazon savings into the company in the beginning. That sounds like a smart Ooh. approach, yeah. And uh, we wanted to build as we ran along. Yeah. And I think that's the only way that startups can move forward and scale faster. Well, you fail fast and then you scale faster, which has always been yeah. um, a mantra. And um, I because of my journey, already had access as well as the knowledge of a lot of clean beauty brands from around the world. So to your question, how did it start? I started uh, hustling through Instagram and LinkedIn by connecting with a lot of founders, got them on a Zoom call. They would see my profile and say, all right, INSEAD, check, Amazon, check, Bloomingdale's, check. She seems legit. Let's talk to her. Great. And um, because I had never done this before in the beginning, I was a bit intimidated that, you know, how are they going to look at us as a retailer of certain credibility because I did not even have a platform to show them. Mm. Today, when a new brand looks at the platform, they're like, my God, this is where we should be mm. because they understand Equilux plant beauty. Mm. That is how we're positioned. But at the time, it was just me, my vision, my voice, my perseverance, my persistence. And I found that because of the uh, per capita spend potential in this region on beauty and personal care, which is the highest anywhere else in the world, a lot of brands want to come here. Mm. However, it's cost prohibitive and labor intensive and it's time consuming, so you need somebody on ground. So I saw the opportunity, I seized it. We then became the full stack service provider for a brand that wanted to come in uh, and not just be listed on the platform, but we actually work with the brands across influencer marketing, digital activations, PR, in order to build a voice in the region. Amazing. So you're, you're more the, it's more than a sort of here's shelf space. You're kind of a yes. business partner. It doesn't work. It would never move mm. if it was just the shelf space. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I get it. So you have a cool brand. How did you come up with the name The Secret Skin? And then, and then you, you had this, yeah, so uh, the, the Shopify approach, the bringing the brands in, and then you just need to make sure it gets to the customer in what they expect. I say just, but is, yes. that, is that how it worked? So we're launching new categories now, like for example, the organic baby spa. We're getting okay. into secret skin living where you'll be able to buy 100% mulberry silk pillowcases and scrunchies and sleep masks as well as face masks that are yeah. silk. Uh, COVID is here to stay at least for some time. We've been in it for 17 months mm. and uh, we want to get into the whole holistic wellness space. So even the collaborations that we do are with mission-aligned partners because of my background. Since I am a cancer survivor, uh, it's incredibly important for me to be looked at as a platform uh, that men and women can buy safe products that are safe for themselves as well as for the planet, mm. especially if you're going through chemotherapy, for example. Mm. Now, um, I waited a several weeks and deep dived into myself to arrive at the name. Okay. The very first document that was ever written in December 2019, uh, the placeholder name was Visage. It had to do with appearance, but it just didn't sit right. I said that, okay, it's a placeholder name. The, it's a moving goalpost. We'll arrive at it. And uh, I listed out the whole strategy and the blueprint and uh, it kept developing. And the reason why I finally chose Secret Skin is two reasons. One is a spiritual reason and the other is a very data centric reason. So now 
The word skin is a very highly searched keyword for anyone looking for a beauty product. So I knew that the word skin needed to be there. Mm. And secret, because our secret skin, that secret part of us, is often what we hide from the world. But it's the purest and the strongest part of us. So secret skin is about bringing out that affirmation, that self-love, that, that resonance that goes beyond social conditioning and the norms of construct that mm. we are bound by. Mm. Uh, so it's about self-love. It's about... Uh, giving yourself the importance and giving the universe the importance of uh, being responsible. Mm. Strong name, it stands out, but it stands out in terms of it fits what you stand for, but how does it stand out with similar names and similar categories and how do you kind of craft a brand on top of the name? Well, one has to do a due diligence to see whether someone else is using that name. The word secret can be used in lots of different connotations True. as well as sequences. Mm. So uh, we were fortunate that nobody else was using it. And the idea is to become so prominent that when people hear the word secret skin, it's just us that they think of. At the moment, uh, there is, um, I know that there's a Russian brand, but that's very far from our geography and it doesn't even, it doesn't feature, it's a completely different value proposition. Yeah. But I think that we stand out in the UAE. Yeah, definitely. And also, yeah, once people get to know you and what you stand for, then it's more familiar. Yes. I think a lot of naming at the start, we kind of, uh, people, entrepreneurs tend to, uh, you know, stress out over, is that name like this and do I have every handle? But actually, once you get known and once you're established, it ceases to matter. matter. Yeah. Yes. And... Um, I, the private label that you alluded to earlier, that is definitely a part of the roadmap. Mm. Our expansion to different geographies is a part of the roadmap. Us becoming an innovative tech platform is part of the roadmap. In fact, I can't say very much about it, but there's going to be something launching very soon because we just don't want to be a platform for beauty products. Mm. One of the things that happened, uh, we had a lady from Glamazel on the podcast. Yes. Uh, the founder uh, a few months ago, can't remember exactly, and she described to me, I wish I had the right terminology, but the uh, industry term for the type of products that were popular pre-COVID and after COVID in terms of makeup versus cleanliness products and that the, the consumer changed. No longer were we going out in lockdown, that we were uh, having more baths and we were looking at cleaning more. Did you see a trend like that or are we kind of, or has it changed in what people are buying? I think that there is a lot of very valid data around how people are shopping post-COVID and being in lockdown. Yeah. People are showing up on Zoom calls, but people are changing the way that they look after themselves. Okay. Makeup as a category definitely has plummeted, mm. while skincare has risen to very encouraging spikes. Mm. Uh, but I also think that COVID has perpetuated a shift towards cleaner, safer living and the emphasis on safety. And uh, it works really well for us because at the end of the day, people are being very careful about what they put inside their body and hence the incidence of the rise of organic food as well as what they put on their body because anything that you put on your skin gets absorbed by your bloodstream and then affects your organs. Mm. And um, at the end of the day, uh, people are... I feel becoming more and more mindful about how they spend and how it impacts uh, the environment at large, which is why people are being careful about the shampoos and the conditioners that they use because 
they have the they they they're aware of what uh, sulfates will do to the water table, for example, and endanger marine life. Mm. I mean, I know that this is not widespread, but I think we're going to get there because mm. that's the only way to go. Yeah. So we're not pushing a vegan lifestyle. It's more about um, mindfulness, awareness, uh, awareness yeah. sort of based reality. Yeah. Um, I have a few directions I want to ask you, but let's Please. take that as a springboard. Uh, you know, it's called ESG, and Environmental Social governance in terms of an investing yes. category is that what you saw when you were speaking to investors did, did they say hey i see e-commerce growing or hey i see what their missions and value is um and did you get a bit of both was there is there interest what i'm trying to get at is there interest in investors in this region in esg type companies so impact investing is what you're referring to is something that is uh, growing. Okay. Gender lens investing is growing. Mm. And uh, when you're very new, um, you need to have a very well thought out strategy if you're going to claim that, you know, this is what we're going to evolve to be. So we didn't take that route. We basically position ourselves as a triple bottom line business, mm. which means that while it's not a not-for-profit, we do focus on commercial gain, but it's the people and the planet that we index highly on in order to make social and environmental impact. Mm. And how are we making that impact? A, like I just talked about sustainability across the flywheel in everything that we do, we also have a plastic recycling program. Mm. So customers can recycle their plastic bottles, earn equal reward points and come back to the platform to shop mm. for more. We have a 38% repeat rate. Customers keep coming back to us in order to buy, uh, replenish uh, products that they've already bought before mm. or to experiment with something new. Mm. So that's been really encouraging. Our customer base has grown 66% um, month on month. We've had two very strong quarters where our, um, our revenues increased by 40%, but the spend has reduced by 40%. Mm. And I think that we, the uh, these numbers, of... marketing spend. Okay, yeah. I think that the idea is to grow slowly and cautiously, but steadily. We mm. don't want to fluctuate so much. Okay. And uh, when you're talking to investors, the kind of investors that we have on the table, it's not just because of the ticket size or the money that they can bring in. It's also about what is the value add. It can be in, the, in, in, in access. It could be about optimizing your operational costs. It could be introductions to other angels. It could be... Um, helping us with, uh, with, with, let's say, an influencer community that they have access to or that we can tap into. Mm. People who understand impact, philanthropy, people who understand what we're trying to create, um, the value that we're trying to create are the right investors for us. I find that women understand this a lot more, uh, but we have a mix of men and women. Uh, all our investors are local and uh, from different nationalities and different backgrounds, but it's very encouraging. But they understand the market, they understand the UAE, they understand the region. They understand the region, but the industry is something that we help them understand. There's obviously, okay. there's a lot of appeal because of the way that we're progressing, you know, towards, towards AI, towards personalization, towards what skincare consumption will mean, mm. let's say by 2030. This is a very exciting space to be in because of the uh, technological advancements that are being made in this industry. Okay. So that's the direction that we want to take. And when we when we uh, 
meet with investors. We show them a broad vision and how we're going to get there. Mm. Okay, and I wanted to talk about the, that you just mentioned around the industry and regards yes. uh, to product. But before we leave the investments approach um, topic, uh, is is it something? Are you still on this? Are you still following the typical trajectory in terms of angel seed series rounds? And do you think that people's expectations around profit over purpose is changing a bit? And can you manage their expectations and trying to create, as you said, more impact? And then maybe that will change the the fundraising roadmap. Uh, the roadmap for us has been um, a small raise before we went live. So we raised uh, a significant uh, amount pre-revenue. And once we went live in October, uh, we waited until January to start the seed round. So mm. we're in the seed raise stage, mm. and uh, which we're going to close by the end of the month. Okay. Uh, so this, anyone successful. listening, there's still a chance. <laughs> there is still a chance. Yeah. We're talking to... I'm very, uh, very clear that the way we find our brands and the way we find our investors follow the same process. They need to be attractive and attracted to us. Okay. And uh, we don't want to just be managing their expectations. We want them to feel happy about creating value with us. We want them to be proud when they tell their friends and other prospective angels that I've invested in this company because this is the vision that I see and the passion that I see in the team. And uh, this is why I know that they're they're different. There's something about them which is different. Okay. So we've managed to successfully do that. Yeah, and uh, I really need to close the round so that we can get on with life because we're <laughs> expanding to a new region this year. Yeah, and there's a lot to be done. Absolutely, I can only imagine. It's very time-consuming, but you seem to be managing everything well, uh, Anisha. The I wanted to ask about uh, about chemicals and the yeah. understanding of chemicals. Last week we had uh, an expert, uh, PhD in chemistry, who talks a lot about. Pharmacy. I saw that. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. And yeah. did you hear what he said about? You know, I asked him about water, and he said, "Well, some people say I won't have toothpaste because it's got chemicals in it." Well, actually, a lot of organic products have chemicals because chemicals can be natural. How do we educate? How do you go about educating? And what what in your products? What should people think of is good ingredients and good uh, chemicals? I think that uh, someone of that credibility would, will have a lot more insight as clearly he did during the conversation. But in my business, you have to demystify it. Yeah, It's very confusing. Customers just want a very simple approach to what they need and the confidence that what they're buying is clean mm. without chemicals. Mm. So the smart customer knows that in conventional beauty products, there are petrochemicals. The smart customer knows that if a product has sulfates and phthalates and parabens in them, then that means that it's not good for me and for the environment. But the petrochemicals, is, does that mean that oil goes into some sort of synthetic kind so of there shampoo? Are synthetic, so there are synthetic uh, ingredients in a lot of skincare because you see chemicals are also used as um, stabilizers. And uh, there are a lot of natural preservatives that you can use as well. So over a period of time, I have gotten used to seeing a particular word, which is a scientific term, and understand whether it means good or bad. And uh, for the customer, because we understand how confusing it can be, 
as brands will put uh, the right kind of terminology on their bottles provided that they have that certification. Mm. Um, sulfates, for example, if you're using a shampoo and conditioner in the shower and it's giving you a lot of foam, uh, 20 years ago, we'd be happy with it because we'd come out thinking we're squeaky clean. Yeah. But actually what it's done is that it's taken the natural oil from your scalp and you can get dermatitis or you can get dry and itchy skin as a result of that. And when it flows into the water because it goes down the drain, it uh, creates havoc in the water table, endangering marine life, like I said earlier. Wow. So I think that um, demystification is really important. There mm. is a lot of information out there and the customer is really confused that, okay, I'm reading a word which sounds like it's the it's a chemical name, but I don't know whether it's good or bad and I don't have the time to Google it. Mm. Um, the same with the synthetic preservatives. I do agree with him that not all chemicals are bad because sometimes when products have water in them, if they're not, uh, if the product doesn't have a stable preservative, then it's not going to last you very long and it'll have mold in it because the shelf life of a product is at between 24 to 36 months. So responsible brands look at all of this mm. and they find solutions. In fact, uh, more and more brands now are looking at biosynthetic ingredients. Now, the, the interesting thing about biosynthetic ingredients is that over a long term, it can mean huge cost savings for companies. It can mm. mean decreased emissions. It can mean uh, lower logistical and supply chain risk and uh, decreased transportation costs. For an example, um, there is a company that has a genetically engineered yeast fermentation in order to uh, come out with the different rose-scented oils to reduce the dependency on actual rose petals in order to create that. Mm. And then you have a company called Biosense that is um, generating their own eco-friendly version of squalene, uh, which in the past was taken from shark livers traditionally. So I think that there is a lot of movement towards using clean biotechnology in order to create formulations that are safe both for the planet and, and, and human beings. Wow, so much I don't know. And you've opened my eyes to it, but I think, um, you know, I think maybe some people might expect regulation and products, labels to, but actually from what you described there, aren't. There, there aren't, but there also aren't. it's almost impossible to yes. put things into an ingredients on a label. You're almost yes. at, you almost need a website. You so need... I think customer <laughs> transparency is really important. I would say that in order to make the simple shift, when you go to a pharmacy, you go to a store, you turn the bottle around and you look yeah. at the ingredients, there are things which will strike out at you. Okay. Brands will say eco-certified ingredients. If it's eco-certified, that means that they have organic ingredients and it's certified that it's eco-friendly. Mm. Or they will have uh, um, words written on them saying paraben-free sulfate-free, mm. phthalate-free. Mm. These are important the things to look terms, out for. Yeah. Um, perfume and alcohol is also something that goes into products and people are mindful of that as well mm. uh, to look out for that because okay. perfume dries your skin. Okay. Interesting. aging. Interesting. Perfume does. Ah, really? <laughs> no, but there no. are natural perfumes that okay. uh, um, we have natural perfumes from this beautiful Parisian brand which contains no alcohol yeah. and uh, it, it's, uh, it gives you a very long-lasting moisturizing effect. So you're mm. essentially spraying moisturizer on yourself. Mm. That's very popular. Yeah, interesting. And what are the sort of, I want to ask a little bit about Amazon, but maybe in, in this regard in terms of uh, trends, uh, what were you seeing people looking for an uplift in items and purchasing that almost gave you the insight that these 
the products that you're representing would be in demand? One is a gut feel. I believe that even when I was at Amazon, we were selling fashion. I always believe that it's both an art and a science. Hmm. So you look at the data, you know, the volume drivers, the image drivers, you look at what people are buying. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, their purchase behavior and how much time people take from exploring and navigating the website, which is the discovery and consideration stage. This is all e-commerce, right? So you're tracking their journey online to what exactly are they putting in their carts, but they're not checking out or they're putting it into their carts, but they are checking out with it. Uh, they're converting. Yeah. So it's uh, quite scientific that way because you use data to understand the patterns. And, uh, and something that I found out in the last eight months is like mists. So there's a confusion around mists and toners. Okay. You know, toners, you put it on your cotton pad or, or a swab and then you put it on your face and you remove all traces of dirt and pollution or residual makeup or yeah. sweat. Uh, but a mist is actually a botanical mist. You know, it uplifts because it has all the botanical actives like lavender. It can have a lot of different um, uh, botanical ingredients that are actually good for you, which you just spray on your face. And uh, something like that works really well in this heat. However, we find that there is a very little demand for mists and most beauty brands will have a mist because it's a botanical active and you can spray it on yourself even when you sleep. Yeah. But the point is it all boils down to awareness. Okay. And in this region, you need representations like informal brand ambassadors or influencers because people are very visual. So in yeah. answer to your question that what has changed is that video is playing a very big role now rather than static posts in helping consumers become more aware of why you should be buying it or what's good about it or what's the mission of the company mm. as well as the ritual and the regimen that you can that you can tailor around different products yeah that's something that we've taken and incorporated it's so fascinating i think i think it's so true because a lot of the products might have different routines and different behaviors so that of course needs uh, persuasion and and guidance and coaching and, and sampling sure. and demos Mm. which is not possible during COVID mm. because even for makeup brands, testers were not allowed anymore. Mm. So we have found a workaround with that uh, challenge that we send uh, luxury minis with every purchase uh, to a customer. Um, it can mean small sachets, it can mean a mini, it can mean a small product for you to sample. And if you like it, then you come back to the platform to buy full size. Yeah. That's a gift with purchase. Mm. And uh, we also work a lot with influencers to see whether, and the right kind of people, you know, people who embody the values that we have, fitness, nutrition, women's health, beauty, people who stand for these values mm. are the people that we like to work with. Mm. Um, and I call it the secret skin society. <laughs> so, but you'll see, you'll see a lot of it because with new brands, the challenge is that clean beauty is not very well known in this region, although there is a huge market I'm happy to share with you the addressable market figures for this region. But I think that it's a category that is so untapped and it's so overexposed in other parts of the world that it's nascent. It has a lot of promise mm. and people are veering towards it and people are adopting and adapting. Mm. And um, the only direction to go now with clean beauty is up. How do you break down the opportunity? If you can maybe talk about one of the kind of highlight numbers or yes. figures and then say how you break down where to kind of create impact. Where we fit, yeah. yes. So it's quite fascinating. Uh, let me put it um, in, in the bracket of statistical data. 
So global beauty, the market is purported to be $600 billion by 2025. 8% of that is clean beauty, right? So we're talking $48 billion. Now, if you look at the context of GCC within that, the market in GCC for all beauty and personal care is $32.2 billion. So in line with the global projections, it follows that the The addressable size, the ratio, again, works out to be about $2.6 billion. That Mm. is a huge market for clean beauty. Mm. Now, let's put it in the context of how beauty spend is seen in this region. 30% of all beauty spend is Saudi. The rest, 20% each, comes from UAE and Qatar. Mm. And the remnant is Kuwait, Oman, and Bahrain, the smaller markets. So GCC. So GCC. So the pie for the Middle Eastern market of clean beauty is $2.6 billion, Mm. which is huge. Mm. In fact, UAE alone, all beauty, not just clean, all beauty and personal care is about $6.4 billion. Mm. So this presents a very huge opportunity. And I always feel that while it may look like competition, the more players there are, there's plenty of space around the table. It's like a buffet. Mm. Because at the end of the day, if you are responsible with the product that you're putting in the hands of the customer, then more and more customers will shift from buying conventional mass-produced brands that have chemicals in them Mm. that wreak havoc on the environment to cleaner products Mm. and cleaner living. Mm. Those numbers are really interesting because I'll tell you why, because I'll just draw a parallel with advertising. There's $600 billion spent on advertising globally and only three, four, five, six billion is spent in this region. Mm-hmm. So uh, yet the 600, same global, and then 38. So what, what, what anecdotally people might see when they go to malls and what they might know, but it backs up your sentiment and statement that people, customers are spending more uh, in terms of how advanced the economies are here in proportion to other regions on beauty comparing yes. scare. So you're actually working in a really kind of right market yes. and the right region. So I'll put that in context further in line with what you just said. In different parts of the world, if there was a 50-50 split between men and women with a per capita, average per capita spend of $240, in this region, because that split is not equal, the spend is much higher. Mm. And also the GCC differs with the rest of the world in having a 90% penetration rate of digital. Mm. You have uh, about 60% of the audience are Gen Z, the Middle Eastern population. And there is a very distinctive um, thought process around how both sets of consumers behave when it comes to purchasing online Mm. and purchasing beauty specifically online. So there's a further subcut to that data. Because the younger generation is more motivated by values. They want to know what the brand stands for. They're early adopters. They don't use so many different products. Their main concern is acne because they're still growing up and developing. Mm. And they don't have a lot of uh, spend propensity, right? Because the funds are limited. And they also experiment freely because that is the nature of the generation. Now, when you come to the older generation, they're mature customers. They understand what works on their skin. They have a greater spend propensity and the ability to buy more expensive products, but they also go to derms and they, they are, they're guided by referrals mm. within their own community or what they should buy. Mm. Um, they don't have such a strong affiliation to values, but it's more about status. Okay. 
and also they use a lot more products. Yeah. And uh, there is data in this region that uh, anywhere between 12 to 14 products are being used in a regimen from AM to PM. So this market, no one spends more in any other part of the world than this market. Wow. Which is why it's a very sweet spot to be in. And yeah. for us, because we don't want to just use uh, expensive marketing activations in order to build a new user funnel, our sweet spot is women's health and wellness. Mm. So we're walking the talk by collaborating with mission aligned partners and doing strategic activations at a brand level with them so that the right audience notices us mm. and understands why they're creating, why they're buying the product. Mm. So when our customers get the box, which is completely made locally, mm. eco-recyclable material, even the gold foil stamping is very classy, but it's still for the protection of the planet. We're very, very mindful of the way we create every part of what the customer is seeing. You also get a card which tells you why I started Secret Skin and why safety is so important to me given what I went through and how by making this purchase, you've helped provide micro-economies to indigenous tribes while harvesting the ingredients that went in your product mm. and how by, by buying locally, you've reduced your carbon footprint. And so, and you've created a difference. So I think that the intention is mm. there. People just don't know how to do it. Mm. So we're enabling the customer to live more responsibly and shop more consciously. Amazing. You s explained things so well. Thank and so you. it's very impressive. Thank you. Um, we're almost out of time. I, I want to kind of uh, ask two questions. Like, I would have loved to talk to you a little bit more about Amazon. So maybe I'll ask something about that. But maybe in terms of because uh, it's such a big company, it's been it's got such a storied uh, history. But in your experience in India, and in, in one of their biggest investments in terms of uh, what they put in capital-wise into a market, what was that experience like? It was, uh, how did you how do you how, enjoy that experience? I think it's um, it's an incredible experience uh, with such a huge population. I mean, it's a big opportunity. And when when I joined Amazon in 2014, in fact, in my first week, I met Jeff Bezos. And that in itself was... Uh, was this in India? Or? It was in India. Was I this moved when from he, Singapore. When he came and he wanted to do the elephants thing and all that sort of story. He did a lot of that. Yeah. He jumped out of a... Well, he, he leaned out of a truck with a huge check, which was lapped up by wow. the media. Wow. He's uh, very well-loved. Uh, Amazon as a company is very popular in the mm. country and at that point in time the consumer perception is what I was hired to change because everyone bought books and appliances from Amazon but no one knew that you could buy fashion and beauty mm. from Amazon mm. so I was a part of the launch team in 2014 and I grew my team uh, to about 13 people before I left and we'd already launched different markets um, I think it was a very rewarding experience mm. because I dipped my fingers into digital content, Fashion Week, we did about 13 seasons of Fashion Week, which then became the blueprint of Fashion Weeks in other parts of the world that Amazon okay. was also sponsoring. Okay. And uh, we did a lot of very new innovative things that uh, other Amazon markets wanted to do because that's the whole Amazon model, you replicate. Mm. Um, it was a huge responsibility as well. And uh, it was my first foray into e-commerce, but I took to it like a fish to water. You like this, yeah. And I liked it so much that I went and created something on my own out of it. There we go. And so in terms of India as an opportunity, because I think you kind of alluded to that the, the countries in the GCC are the core focus at the moment. Yes. 
would you be looking east or west? Would you be going to North Africa or, or, or Levant or will you be thinking of India? Or, or... Well, we just rolled out in Oman and Kuwait mm. and uh, we're still at an MVP stage. Let's not forget yeah. it's my eighth month. No, absolutely. <laughs> I know it's difficult yeah. to, to uh, accept that, but sometimes even I feel the same way. Mm. Um, we're going to launch into Saudi next and this will be a proper expansion. Mm. Um, so that will happen this year towards Q4. Okay. Because yeah. that requires a completely set, different set of regulations and, uh, you know, a different process and approach altogether. Yeah. And uh, we're going to launch our app. We're working on our private label. We're working on subscriptions. Uh, we are subscription also... Like direct like subscription like direct-to-consumer products. Like services. Yeah. So yes. So you get it replenished or... Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Nice. Uh, it's like subscribe and save. Yeah. And uh, we Exciting. are going to enter into Southeast Asia through Singapore in 2023. Okay. There's a lot of interest from the investor ecosystem there as well. Okay. Um, it's very encouraging, but we want to dominate this region first without getting distracted. Yeah. Because you have to be very frugal with the funds that you have. And uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, responsibility that comes with a lot of power. Yeah. And I think that we have to be very mindful with what we're trying to create for the customer mm. and the difference that we're trying to make to the world. Amazing. We'll leave it there. Thanks Thank a lot, Anisha. Thanks for your time this Thank morning. Uh, amazing story. And we look forward to following you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.